All right, well, good morning. Uh, good morning and welcome to New Life this Easter Sunday. It's really great to worship with you on uh, a day like today. And definitely a special welcome to those who aren't regularly with us if you're just joining us for Easter. Uh, we do have a few technical issues, and so I do thank you for your patience uh, throughout all these technical issues. So you might hear the blinds kind of uh, blowing in the wind. It gets like this on windy days, unfortunately. And I believe this speaker is out. So if you guys look confused, I know it's just a speaker and not you know, the speaker. And so we'll see how we go with that. Well, we've arrived at Easter Sunday, which is really exciting. Uh, those that have fasted over the Lenten season, you know, congratulations, because you know, whether it's been 40 days or you've stumbled along the way, uh, you've made it, and we can really break fast together this morning, uh, celebrate. I trust it's been a good time of deepening your faith and your understanding of God and your dependence and love for Him as well. Um, whatever the case, make sure you stick around with us, though, because uh, after service, we'll have a uh, barbecue that fellowship team has prepared for us. How about I pray for us now, and then we'll get into the sermon. Father, we gather together this Easter Sunday. We gather together as we do every single week, as we do on special days, but we know, Lord, that even as we gather together, that you're a God of all seasons, that you're a God who's with us all throughout our lives, keeping us even when we find ourselves distracted from you, helping us, Lord, to seek you, to really deepen our faith and our commitment to you. And we know, Lord, that even as you're the author of our faith, you're also the perfecter. You're the one who writes who begins the script, but you're also the one who finishes it. And so we turn to you, God, and we ask, Lord, that you would continue to write our faith, that you would continue to deepen our love for you, that you would help us, Lord, to truly know what it means that Jesus now lives. We want this to be the case in our hearts. We want, Lord, for your son to live in our hearts, to be the director, of the love that comes from our hearts. We want to be guided by your Holy Spirit and we want to live for you. So would you do that now? Would you begin that work in our hearts if we don't know you yet? Or would you continue that work if we stumbled or if we struggle or even if everything's fine? We pray, Lord, that you would deepen our love for you. Be with us. Make the words and the meditations of our hearts clear and help us, Lord, to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think the question that comes every Easter is, do you believe that Jesus now lives? This is a very important question for us to face. Do you believe that Jesus now lives? Because this is not a matter of opinion for the Christian. For a Christian person, it's a fact on which our faith is based. Jesus now lives. For you to now believe that Jesus lives, though, you must believe that Jesus was resurrected. His death, at the very least, is historical fact. You can see this. You can look through the different historical records. Most people, whether Christian or atheist, they come to this conclusion that Jesus lived and died. And the difference is that we believe that Jesus was resurrected. Now, for the early Christians, their faith depended on the testimony of those who had seen the resurrected Jesus. 
those around them that have gone and seen that Jesus now lives in bodily flesh. And the transformation of these people as well. They proclaimed the eyewitness accounts of what they've seen. And then their behavior, their changed behavior, declared the truth of what they had witnessed. Others could see the change in them. They could see what they were living for. And our faith is not too different from this either. We proclaim the truth of what we've seen, of our faith. And then our changed lives declare the genuineness of our faith. Last week, we saw that the people were declaring Jesus to be the enemy of the Jews, the enemy of the Gentiles, and also the enemy of God. But his resurrection shows that at the very least, he's vindicated by God. He's been declared innocent by God, which is of much greater value than the declaration of innocence that Pilate gave, which ultimately still led to his death. If he's declared innocent by God, if we believe this, then we can see that surely whatever he said must be true. If God is declaring that this is truly his son, that he's vindicated, then Jesus is the son of God, he's the Messiah, just as he claimed. Now, is this enough for you? Is it enough for you, the testimony of what we see in the Bible this morning? Now, these are questions that we have to face. If we're to be believers in the faith, we really have to understand what it is that we're reading in the Bible and whether that is, is enough for you. Do you believe that Jesus now lives? Faith trusts in Jesus as the risen Lord. Even when we don't understand things fully, it's faith which takes that extra step to see and to believe. But belief, it's not necessarily the understanding of everything that comes along with whatever we believe in, though. Think about it like this. If you're married or if you're in a relationship, you might face a situation where we believe in our spouses and in our partners and in the vows that we make together, the agreements that we come to in our relationships, even though we don't fully understand everything about our spouses. We might not really know the way that they think. We don't really know what makes them tick, what it is that keeps them going. But it's this trust that makes our relationships work. It's not a straightforward understanding of everything about someone. That's relationships. We heard from the Bible passage this morning that Michelle read. The beloved disciple believed in Jesus' resurrection, but his understanding of Scripture comes later. His understanding of the deeper things comes later. It's Jesus' resurrection itself that's a catalyst for his understanding. He sees and he believes in the resurrection first. The Holy Spirit opens their eyes to see what Jesus had taught. The beloved disciple, John, he wrote the gospel account himself. He confesses through a writing that he didn't understand everything, his lack of understanding of scripture, despite his belief in the Lord. All he knows in that moment is Jesus lives. This is all he knows. Now, all throughout our Easter series, So That You May Live, we've seen what Jesus did on this earth in order to give us life. And today, we see what Jesus does. He lives. It's the present tense reality. He lives. Let's follow along through the passage, okay? John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. 
She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. If you were with us this past Friday, this Good Friday, you walked the journey that Jesus took all the way from the Garden of Gethsemane where he was betrayed to the cross and eventually the tomb, the same tomb that we find ourselves at in this passage. Mary, in her grief, she's braved the darkness of the early morning. She's gone out to the tomb where Jesus was buried. When she gets there, she sees that the stone had been removed. Okay, the tomb is not a tomb or a crypt like we might think about it, but probably a cave. And a great big rock, a great big stone had been placed in front of it. But it had been removed completely. When she goes running back to where Simon Peter and this disciple that Jesus loved, John, are, she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And at this time, grave robbing was very common. So it's probably the first thing that they suspected. Some thieves have broken in, and they think that they've taken Jesus' body. Let's continue on, verses 3 to 5. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So Peter and John hear that Jesus' body had been taken. They hear about this from Mary. They run to the tomb. John being much younger than Peter, he gets there first. And he peers into the tomb, but he doesn't go in. Okay, maybe he's a little bit afraid. It's still dark out. It's a tomb. But looking into the tomb, John can see that there are expensive linen cloths and the spices that were used to dress the body of Jesus still lying there where Jesus' body had just been. He's seen them. He's seen where he's entombed. There's a linen cloth. There's the spices. Everything that John could see is the expensive stuff that no grave robber would leave behind if they were to rob the grave of Jesus. Verses 6 to 7. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. So at this point, Peter arrives, and true to form, he rushes right into the tomb. You know, if you've read the gospel accounts, this is very on-brand for Peter. He's very brash. He just goes straight into things. Peter sees the linen cloths that John had seen. He also sees the wrapping that had been on Jesus' head. These are all burial clothes that were used, you know, along with the linen cloths, the spices, for Jewish burial customs at this time. So it's very normal to see this kind of stuff in burial tombs. And he sees the head wrapping neatly folded up and placed aside, you know, like you would do laundry maybe. If you were with us during the series, you've seen as well, we saw in Lazarus' resurrection that when Jesus called Lazarus to come out of the tomb, he came out still wearing his grave clothes. His head was still wrapped up. John 11, 43 to 44, after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. If we go back to our passage this morning, this is a really bizarre detail to include if you think about it. Like, imagine you're making up a story and you get to this point. Would you tell everyone and all this stuff was wrapped, like just left to the side as well. 
His, a more plausible description might be that the spices were strewn everywhere. The linen cloths were on the ground. But no, they're lying there, just as they had been when Jesus had been entombed. So apparently, if we go by the testimony, when Jesus rose from the dead, he passed through his grave clothes, similar to when he just appears in locked rooms later. And even stranger is the detail that for some reason the head wrapping didn't go through his head. So it was just folded up in a separate place by itself. It's like he's, I'm done with this. And he just neatly folds it and places it aside because he just didn't need it anymore. And these are really random, very specific, very bizarre details to include. And let's read on, okay, verses 8 to 9. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in and saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. John is admitting here that up until this point, at least, he didn't believe in Jesus. John was still standing outside you know, while Peter is inside observing the tomb, he sees that nothing bad has happened to Peter. Nothing scary is coming out and capturing Peter in the tomb. So he follows him in. He sees what Peter sees. And he believes. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, this is verse 8, then also went in, saw, and believed. So he sees the spot where Jesus' body had been laid. He sees that there's grave clothes lying there. He sees the spices. He sees the head wrapping off to the side. So he sees and he believes. John came to faith in the resurrection of Jesus because the tomb was empty, because the grave clothes remained. And so the most plausible explanation for him is Jesus now lives. Other witnesses later came to believe because they actually saw Jesus. John himself sees Jesus later. They actually saw Jesus walking and talking, eating, meeting with them, commanding them just as he did when he was alive. And so that's when they came to know that Jesus lives. But do you believe that Jesus now lives? This might not be enough evidence for you if you're thinking purely on a logical level, this might not be enough evidence for you to definitively put in place that your feelings have to go aside. You might have to declare your belief in Jesus Christ based on faith rather than logic. But if we consider the fact, logically, that the church exists today and that this is very dependent on the early church existing, then something happens. There's many people who want to doubt this claim. I don't disparage them by any means. You know, I was one of them as well. But these people, they're going to do the bare minimum of parroting back something that they read or heard about the implausibility of the resurrection. Talk about how illogical, illogical the claim is, how it doesn't make sense for the dead to rise. But isn't that the point? Isn't that the point of faith? It's in something bigger. What kind of faith is it if it's something that's easily fulfilled by just anybody? By something that's so easily explainable? That's not faith. Why not go deeper into the realm of doubting and, and questioning instead of stopping there? 
Why not figure out what would happen if this was all based on a lie? We can do this if we doubt. At the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, what if, as a thought experiment, what if the tomb wasn't empty when Mary, Peter, and John went there that morning? They get there, the stone is rolled away, they look in, there's Jesus, still dead. Or they get there, the stone's still there. Then surely the early church would have fizzled out rather quickly. Because someone would have come forward and said, hang on a second, this isn't right. The Roman guards were there. When people preach and testify about the risen Jesus, surely someone would come forward and say, that's not what I saw. Surely the church would not have grown and expanded because they place people in danger during this time period because there's a threat of death for preaching about the risen Jesus. Who would die for a dead man who had been lying about his identity and remained dead? Who would die for the secret about a liar's stolen body? Now, even if the first Christians were incredibly foolish, and let's say that they were tricked by a stolen body, even if the others who saw later Jesus in the flesh were under some sort of mass hysterics or hallucinations, we should know that the Jewish authorities, it's in their best interest to produce Jesus' body, the Roman authorities, someone would have been able to produce the body of the one that they had just executed, the one that they'd placed under guard. Who could get by the guards and the stone that were in the way of the tomb without them being seen? For the Christian, Jesus' resurrection is so crucial. And we talk about this weekly, and I don't know if we get it. Jesus' resurrection is so crucial, so important to our faith because it speaks volumes about where we're headed. We as Christians are headed somewhere. Our ultimate hope of resurrection is in the time to come, not in this life only. We don't live for just this life. We'll talk about that more in the coming weeks when we conclude our First Corinthians series, but what we can see now is that there's some sort of a strange, unexpected continuity in Jesus' body prior to and now after his resurrection. It's not just in his personality, but in his body itself. We see that this isn't just the idea of someone who's immortal, but someone who in reality has entered into our mortality, who lived and breathed and had a physical body, who died and has resurrected. We've got to get this idea right. He can still be touched. He still has the wounds that he had prior to death. He cooks and he eats with the disciples after he resurrects. And yet his body can go through grave clothes, can appear in locked rooms, and sometimes it's not recognized. And some of this might not make much sense to you. For some of us here, you might have doubts, you might have questions, and that's okay. It's very normal in faith. Peter walked away from this discovery of the tomb amazed. We read about this in another gospel account in Luke. And he wonders to himself, what on earth is happening? Like he sees the tomb empty and he doesn't come to the same conclusion as John, but he walks away just amazed and thinking, what's happening? John himself was probably not that far off from where Peter was, even though he believed. 
But the important thing here is not necessarily just having a full understanding of everything immediately. It's faith. It's belief. Something that clearly changed and John had changed. Let's read through the rest of the passage. Verses 11 to 13. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stopped or she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. So Peter and John head back to where they're staying. Mary returns to the tomb and she still has no idea what had been happening. John might have come to a belief But Mary clearly hadn't. She's still trying to figure it out. Where's the body at? She loves Jesus. She's in grief. And so as she's crying, she looks into the tomb like John did earlier. She doesn't enter in. But things are a little bit different from earlier because there's two angels sitting where Jesus' body had been laid. They're dressed in white clothes that gleam like lightning, other parts of the gospel tell us. They ask her, why are you crying? And this isn't just a normal question. This is a rhetorical question. It's not them asking for information because angels are messengers from God. And so rather than just asking her for the reason, they're actually suggesting there's no reason for you to cry anymore. Why are you crying? You really shouldn't be crying. Why? (coughs) Mary doesn't understand what's happened. Her crying shows this and her answer shows this as well. Because it's taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. I find this to be such a heartbreaking answer if you put yourself in, you know, if you put yourself in her shoes. I don't know if you've been with people in moments of extreme grief, but just imagine the implication of that grief if their beloved one is completely missing. The body is gone, they can't properly grieve. Now, all of a sudden, she becomes aware that someone else is nearby. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you feel like someone's looking at you and you don't know it at the time, but then you become aware, so you look up and they are looking at you. This is kind of what's happening here, John 20, 14 to 15. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Mary doesn't immediately recognize Jesus. You know, maybe it's from the tears that are blurring her vision. I probably would have stopped when I saw the angels, but maybe it's the tears. Maybe it's that she was kept from recognizing him because, you know, maybe he just looks a little bit different. Now, Jesus addresses her. In our translation here, it says woman. Uh, This isn't really the best translation because in our modern context, if you speak to a woman and you say woman, it creates a bit of distance. It's a little bit condescending and rude. Don't try that. It's not quite a term of endearment either though. It's not like saying my dear woman, but it's somewhere in between, maybe madam or miss. I don't know if any of us ever say this. It's basically just a general term of referring to a woman or maybe you say sister in church. 
Why are you crying? Jesus asked. And there's that suggestion again. You shouldn't be crying. And he asks, additionally, who is it that you're seeking? Who is it that you're seeking? In other words, what kind of Lord were you expecting? Why do you cry over Jesus' body? Mary's tears tell us that the Messiah that she had in mind, because she might believe that this is the Messiah, but this Messiah that she had in mind was so small and so powerless that he could die at the hands of men and just remain buried in the grave. And so she weeps. The question for us is, what kind of God do we believe in? What do you believe about your God? Does your faith take you to a place where God is not around? He's not interested. He's impervious to your pain. Do you have trouble seeing a God who can rise from the dead? Is that the stumbling block for you? Or is it that he creates with a word? He's born of a virgin. Any of these miracles that we talk about, are those the stumbling blocks? Is it that he lives? Mary doesn't get it. She thinks he's the gardener, and she asks if maybe he's taken the body away. She won't trouble him anymore. She just wants to give Jesus a proper burial. She asks for the body. John 20, 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now one word, her name, suddenly lifts her blindness. And it's such a beautiful thing that Jesus knows Mary. Like when we read this, it means that Jesus knows us too. Earlier in John, Jesus talks about this thing in John chapter 10. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. There's him talking about himself. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his own sheep by their names. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. And this is for you and this is for me. When we hear this, we follow him because we know his voice. If we don't follow him, we don't know his voice. We may not have the correct confession. We might not have the correct way of thinking about Jesus. Maybe we still think of him as just a good teacher. He has some good ideas. Maybe we still expect him to be in the grave. But we see here that Mary also calls him teacher. Her expectation of Jesus was so small too. And yet Jesus knows her. He knows us. He knows our name. And he lives. For us Christians, Easter is a celebration of the fact that he lives. And from celebration, we go into a glimpse of the future to come. If you've ever been part of a wedding party before, if you've ever been part of the preparation for a wedding, you might have attended a rehearsal before the actual wedding day. You go through the different parts of the day to come as a bit of practice, so that you know, nothing goes wrong, 
making sure everything's going to be perfect for the day. You rehearse. And Easter is almost like this rehearsal for us, for Christians, because we're looking forward to that day when Jesus returns, when our bodies will be like his, the broken, perishing bodies that we have putting on the imperishable, and we're going to live forever with him. For now, we join with Mary in hearing what Jesus says. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said to her. In his death and resurrection, Jesus has made us into his family members, that we could be called his brothers, his sisters, and we can call his Father our Father. And now we go and tell others that he lives. How about I pray for us?